0: You can't keep people from pain. Like the amount of clients that I have that are like, I followed the rules. Like this is why I feel so devastated is because I did all the things and I still found pain.
1: You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Jamie Lee Finch is an intuitive healer, sex witch, poet, and relationship guide between humans and their bodies. She believes our bodies have a language and that that language is our mother tongue. Trauma, she says, in any form, including toxic experiences with fundamentalist religious belief, is responsible for breaking down our ability to communicate successfully with our bodies. And any sort of illness or imbalance, dysfunction or disease is our body's frustrated attempt to connect with and communicate to us. The work that Jamie does is in reassociating people with their bodies, the language their body is speaking, and the voice their body is speaking with. It is deep reconciliation healing work on a mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical level. Jamie is based in Nashville, Tennessee, and her practice is fully booked until 2019. Clearly, there's a demand for this type of reconnection with her bodies. I was stoked to Skype with her as we chatted about owning our sexuality and a bit on purity culture too. If we're gonna talk like this, we better put some red lipstick on. What color are you putting on?
0: Um, this is Smashbox uh, Bing. It's a, it's a matte color. Mm. Um, only two colors I use are Smashbox. Almost all of my cosmetics are Smashbox. Um, I just really like them. And I use Bing and infrared. They're both matte and one is a bit darker and one is a bit more orangey. Oh, girl.
1: Okay. Well, I'm putting on. It's a pencil. It's NARS, and mm. it's Famous Red, mm. and it's a velvet matte lip pencil. Ooh, yeah. I yeah. Like it. Um, and I just happen to have it sitting right, here, right here oh. next to my computer while we're skyping. Uh, so you know, everyone, <laughs> you might want to put on red lipstick mm-hmm. be- before you listen to this.
0: Way for people to get prepared for this. <laughs> I mean... Also, I've done this directly staring at someone else's face before. I have them staring into my face as I'm like fish-mouthing my lipstick. It's great. This is amazing. I mean, it's We like, just met, so like we're getting very intimate right we now. We are.
1: It's just, here's my lips. I'm putting them really okay. close to the camera while I put on my red lipstick. I mean, if we're going to talk about anything to do with sex and sexuality,
0: mm-hmm. I think mean, red
1: lipstick is important. No matter... No matter what, what gender y- you identify with, it's oh. very important. Everyone should be putting red lipstick on right now.
0: <laughs> for, for a while there, I had this, like, which I don't know, maybe someday I'll bring this back. But I had this early on in my coaching, uh, I had this dream to do this, like, iteration of, like, health coaching stuff. Where it was, like, God, I can't remember now. This was, like, 2014 or something. Where I was, like, I had this deep belief that all like women really needed was like the right shade of red lipstick and like two other things. And that was, I don't remember, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had this like vision in my head about like any person that I worked with, like they got, like we figured out their right shade of red lipstick too. Um, which was cool. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring that back someday. Cause I'm a big believer in what wearing this does to my
1: psyche. So, Ooh, well, all right. I'm listening. Let's see if, you know, listeners, if you let me know if I sound more more confident and sexier let me know because i am wearing red lipstick now so
0: do i sound like more in
1: my body now and you know in these people i'm so connected and like we're both wearing black too so
0: you
1: oh, yeah Well, kinda... I, I wish i mean
0: I, i'm not i don't have to wish i could show you my closet right now that would only be exciting for you no one else but it my closet is a very small door just like one door it's a tiny closet Um, but about 80% of it is just all black things. And 20, the other 20% is like flannel or stripes or maybe something like white or gray that I just haven't been able to part with because I just, everything's black.
1: I love it. I'm into it. So into it. Yep. so important. Well, um, I'm so excited to talk and we've, we've been like Twitter friends for like two months, three months, four months, I don't know, yeah. a while, time goes fast, maybe it's longer than that. But um, I am so excited to hear, hear your thoughts. And one of the things that um, one of the requests that I got from, uh, you know, listeners asking for specific topics was just how to own, how to identify and also own your sexuality. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with um, and I think it's there's so many things involved with it whether it's like expectations from your culture your family you know that your upbringing whether you were a part of any sort of community or or structured society that had you know right and wrong attached to certain things so obviously it's a very very complicated topic but I think we should solve it in an hour or less
0: (laughs) I mean we're both Enneagram eights, so we would be the people who believe that's possible.
1: Uh, we would believe that's if possible.
0: It if it's going to happen at all, it's going to be in a space that is exclusively occupied by Enneagram eights. So, yeah, we're, <laughs> and we're just
1: we're just here to just you know verbally assault people with our intense personalities and opinions, and you know not actually assault, but you know what I mean. Some people feel very violated by eights. So, one of
0: my clients just this morning actually was telling me how she was like. I think this person that I had an interaction with recently, he thinks he's a nine, but I'm pretty sure he's an eight because when he talked, like, he was really passionate about what he was talking about. She's like, and I noticed this thing that every time I'm in the presence of an eight and they get on some kind of thing that they're passionate about, I feel really, like, unsafe. Like, I I think she might have even used the word assaulted. Then she stops, she goes, with the exception of you, actually. I don't really know how that happened. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just extraordinarily healthy, or maybe we're just passionate about the same things.
1: So you don't feel concerned when I'm communicating intensely about them yeah I get told um I think the words the words intimidating I hear probably the most and masculine and aggressive those are the words that I get you know used uh get told that I am the most which um used to make me feel sad and now I'm just like cool thanks
0: yeah yeah that masculine one though I'm a little bit like are we still doing this guys? We, we still doing this whole binary thing? Like you still? Okay, great. It's 2018. Maybe you
1: want to catch up, but that's fine. You do you. you it's not going to bother me. Cool. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts. Cause I honestly, I know a little bit about the work that you do and, um, and not a whole lot more. So just for the sake of, you know, even if what, even if what you're about to say is something that you say all the time, like, what is your, what is your ethos? What is your like belief system on, um, sexuality, what it is, where it comes from? How do you, and, and, you know, since we're tackling all the big questions right now, um, how do you undo Hmm. things that you believe about your body or your sexuality, um, in your adulthood or even in your, adolescence? How do you undo that stuff? Cause it's so in you, you know, in me, I'll speak, I'll come from I. Oh,
0: well, me too. Yeah. So in this, in this space we can use an us for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Great questions. Great questions. Um, so as far as, I mean, the first question of like, what is sexuality or kind of how do you identify that within yourself? What kind of relationship can you have towards it? I think that I mean already in and of itself is a, is a complicated question because there are so many different opinions about it and most of those are not rooted in um uh fact or science most of them tend to be rooted in um some form of religious belief um for not for everybody but for a lot of, or maybe not necessarily even rooted in but in largely informed by religious beliefs so something like so as an example of like a separate thing like that whole idea, like people who have really intense feelings about um, abortion, like a lot of times they'll use that talking point of life begins at conception. And it's like that actually is not a scientific believe valid um, belief that's a religiously informed belief and yet that tends to be their a lot of people's talking point whenever they want to talk about the legality of access to abortion and so I feel like that kind of that thing happens a lot with sex and sexuality as well um, where people people have been so and especially people in our culture in American culture have been so Um, deeply entrenched in the things that they were brought up that are actually religious beliefs, that they were told are fact. That they, it's hard for us, I'll say us with that too, because that's how it's brought up too. It is really hard for us to um, kind of sort through within ourselves, like what we're holding onto, what we've let go of, what we want to let go of, what we want to hold onto, what we want to gain, what we want to learn. Sometimes it can be hard to parse through what is rooted in fact and what is rooted in like feeling or belief. Um, And so, I don't know, I mean, I think when it comes Something like um, sexuality and um, sexual orientation, uh, you know, desires, um, turn-ons, or even even just or like kink, anything like that. Like you can, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of emotion when talking about these conversations because for a lot of people, they might not feel fully comfortable in what it is that they like or what it is that they prefer. And so there's a lot of um, vilifying anyone who projects anything differently because they don't know how to be confident in their thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think like when you really get down to it, like it is just as so simple. And I said this on, um, like kind of the illustration I used on a podcast like a year and a half ago or something, um, it an episode of the life after where I was like, man, sexuality is just like, it, it's, it's just, on a very real level, it's almost, it should be really unimportant. Like it should be kind of just mundane and boring and regular and normal because it's equally as much a part of you as like your left arm. Like it's just, it's present, it's there, it's a part of who you are. And this idea, this like false idea that you can like raise a human person, like, you know, the right way to parent or the right way to pastor or the right way to be to teach or to lead or to heal in any way is to cut someone off from that part of themselves or to teach them how to survive um, disconnected from it, or teach them how to live, or even tell them, lie to them and tell them that it's possible to thrive, like disconnected from that part of yourself, is equally as damaging as it would be to like tell them that the right way for them to live would be to cut off their arm. Like it's just, it's in my opinion, it is equally as inhumane. It really is. Because it's something that is so valid and so legitimate and so authentic and so real. And even, and when I hear myself say this too, I just wanna make sure I kind of rabbit trail for a brief moment and say like this includes asexuality so like there are people that their sexual identification is asexual like this and that doesn't mean their sexuality isn't a part of them it means that the way that they express and know their sexuality is the fact that they are asexual so it is included it still belongs so um i think like what have you read the ethical slut no should i okay so good yes get the newest the newest edition it looks it looks like this Mm -hmm. this one okay Um, one of the things that they say in it that I've been using a lot recently, um, because this is a book kind of talking about, um, all the different kind of ways to enact and live out your, um, your sexuality. A lot of this is within the context of like polyamorous relationships or like open relationships. Um, a lot of, I mean, there's so much good information here, but it's basically just kind of a, I don't know, like, a. All-encompassing kind of guidebook to um, human sexuality, and so there's a little, a little part here where it's like in praise of monogamy because they're like, we know that we're talking about all these, all these options, and we don't want it to, to kind of, we don't want to accidentally imply that we think monogamy is bad. Um, and so one of the things they say is the only objection we have to monogamy is not the practice itself, but to the widespread belief that it is your only moral choice. By this point in the book, we hope you figured out that it is only one of myriad choices that you get to decide for yourself with input from your partners, what relationship style works best for you. And I would say the same thing just about sexuality in general, where it's like my problem or my issue is not with people who might choose to abstain from, you know, being in touch with their sexuality in a partnered way until marriage. My problem is when they have been brought up inside of an environment or brought up by people who have told them that that is the only moral choice, because then there's a lot of projection involved in that too, which can become really like dangerous and sticky and complicated where they then believe that because that's the thing that they feel like they've chosen, um, that is the correct thing for everyone else to choose as well. Um, so there's a lot, there's, there's a lot that's complicated because there is a lot, like you said, there's a lot of undoing because so many of us, I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me and for almost all of the people that I work with, we were raised inside of environments that told us some really specific Um, not rooted in facts, not rooted in science, things about sex, about sexuality, um, I cannot tell you the amount of people that I have worked with and just know, and myself included, who at some point in our lives thought that we needed to go to a program for sex addiction just because we were thinking about or curious about or wanting to engage with our sexuality. And we were brought up in a paradigm that told us that the right way to be a human person is to have that totally shut down. So we just immediately thought we were addicts. Like, there's, it, it's really fucked up. So, so, yeah, so as far as your kind of second question of like, how do you what do you do like what do you do with that when you kind of notice like what I have been believing isn't serving me and I, I'm feeling myself wanting to go off in a different direction maybe explore some things validate some things um, it definitely takes a lot of time I think the space that I predominantly hold in the work that I do with people is getting them kind of holding space to, to teach people how to communicate with their bodies how to be in relationship with their bodies because ultimately um, what is right for you when it comes to sexuality that, you know, what's right for you and what does not bring harm to anyone else and what is, um, consensual and autonomous and full of respect. Like that's, you know, that's kind of the highest law essentially. And the only way you're going to know what that is, is for you to like spend some really good time with yourself and be in communication with yourself to find that out. So I think that's, that I feel like is something that's a doorway into a lot of things, but like, Comfortability with sexuality and comfortability with sexual expression. It's a doorway into, into that among many, many other things as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, and I am not surprised to hear that a lot of the work that you do is undoing. And, um, you know, even what you said about just getting in, in connection with being in our own bodies, I mean, that is something that is so not celebrated. It's not taught. It's not it's actually shamed more than anything like our bodies are our bodies bring lust our bodies bring shame our bodies you know cause people to stumble our bo- like the the things that we've been told about our bodies um yeah. you know are are all things that don't create a space of permission and freedom and empowerment and um you know as i've been getting more in into my own body, the more I've realized how much my body can teach me um and how beautiful it is and how it isn't actually like a bad space, you know, and and so yeah. and so it's it's a but it's a long road. It's not like just yeah. one day I just went, oh, my body's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I think everything from body shaming to um dysmorphia to um, you know, church culture with um, you know, with women are, it's like so many things are women's bodies fault. Um, and so there's just a lot of, a lot of things, like you said, that aren't necessarily rooted in any truth or science, um, but are just kind of control factors. Like they're just kind of put in, in place to control. And, on one hand, like if I'm trying to play, like if I'm trying to hear both sides, I'm like, okay, I get it. You're trying to protect and keep people from pain or doing something that you think might be air quotes wrong. Right. Um, but really how much damage are you causing in the process?
0: Right. And ultimately like that's a false self cause you can't keep people from pain. Like the amount of clients that I have that are like, I followed the rules. Like, this is why I feel so devastated is because I did all the things and I still found pain. And I'm like, that's one of the hardest things that is, or one of the things I think is actually kind of the most, I mean, I'm an eight, um, it's where it's evil about this whole thing is there's this over promise under deliver because the delivery is impossible, which is like, if you do all these things, if you do it the right way, especially for women, because that whole courtship nonsense that, like, Joshua Harris did with the whole, like, oh, well, you won't feel like pieces of your heart are, like, strewn about. What that's essentially saying is, like, if you never date and you only court and you never have sex with anyone, you never even, like, I think even as far as, like, kiss someone. I don't know. In my, like, mid to late 20s, I had a dude tell me once that holding hands was too far. And I was like, you are the last Christian person I'm ever dating. Bye. I'm not doing it. This is ridiculous. Like, it was insane. So anyway, but so the, the, pr- the problem there is, like, it telling... Telling women, men too, and anyone in between, well, I mean, even evangelical Christianity ignores and you know, gender is, there's a spectrum, whatever. Telling women, we'll go with that one for now. Um, <laughs> there's so many soapboxes to stand on. I don't know. I know, women. I know. Handstands all over the place. Um, but telling women that, like, you can avoid pain. You can avoid pain, essentially. You can avoid heartbreak specifically. You can avoid any kind of relational trauma um, by following this formula, and then getting married and only having sex with that one person, and then everything will be good. And I have everything from clients who have issues in their body, where like they were then like, um, okay, sex isn't what you sold me. And then I have clients who woke up to another part of their sexuality later, um, maybe some some attraction there that they didn't they weren't allowed to connect with before. So that's devastating. I have clients who the person that they married because part of the success in, like, deciding to marry that person was being totally sexually shut down. They've been married for decades, and they've never been sexually attracted to their spouse. Like, everything, that's the thing. And, like, each of those things that I just said causes heartbreak you can't avoid heartbreak and in a very real sense too, you don't want to. That's not a life worth living, a life where you don't encounter or experience any suffering at all whatsoever. Like what the fuck is that? Not only is that impossible, but why is that a goal? And so when I think back on my dating experiences and my dating relationships and people that I've had sexual relationships with and by and large, the people that I've had sexual relationships with, I have not been in like a committed kind of monogamous relationship with and We've been friends, I'm trying to get this term coined for the world, cordial sex, because I fucking hate the term casual sex because sex is not casual, and I've never had casual sex in my life, it's insane. So cordial sex, it's warm, it's friendly, like I've had a lot of cordial sex with people I am cordial with, and sometimes I've experienced pain as an outcome of that novel, all, not all the time. And then sometimes I've experienced like brief moments of pain. That doesn't mean I was doing something wrong. It might mean that there is something within me that needed to come up that I needed to stare at more clearly. And something as intimate as like a sexual connection with another person where I'm engaging in the act of sex with someone and becoming that level of vulnerable brought that to the surface. So. It not only is it like a false cell and it's a really dangerous paradigm to be like, avoid pain, avoid pain, avoid pain, do this thing. But it's also like, I don't want to avoid pain. I don't, Pain's like my best teacher and especially relational pain. It's like my best teacher. So like for sure don't go like seeking it, but at the same time, like if it comes to you, but you can't live in a way where you think that you can avoid it at all from like arriving at your doorstep. Cause like what, I mean, women might follow the whole formula and then like, Five, ten, fifteen, twenty 10, 15, 20 years on the road, like maybe they, they get to, di- let's say a normal thing, they get divorced. Then what? What did, I mean, I mean it, the, the reality is, is like, that's not the end of the world, yeah. but within the paradigm you're taught, like, this is the end of your world. Yeah. And that's such a service. And again, I'll just use the word, like, I really believe that's inhumane to teach human beings that like, there is a correct and proper formula through which to live and express or really largely not express your sexuality and living that formula out will keep you from experiencing pain or heartache. No, that's inhumane.
1: Uh, yep. Loving it. And what you're saying too about, um, you know, so many people, um, some that I know, some that I know very well, um, did the thing of like, but I followed the rules. I did exactly what you said and it didn't work. It didn't, it actually, and it, I think that that creates expectations that, you know, if you raise someone and love someone, um, through pain and you say, this is a part of life, what can we learn from this? being human means this huge spectrum of joy, pain, and everything in between, emotion. Let's learn from it. What what are our bodies teaching us about this? That is one thing. It's another thing to say, oh my gosh, pain is scary. Pain is bad. I want to protect you from pain. By the way, here's the rule book. And if you follow this, it'll be amazing. And then to follow the rule book and do it to the T, like everything nailed it, and then to then to, when your expectations have been set up that like you're gonna walk yep. down like the golden road and be just handed like the best sex of your life from you know God, God self, and be I'm not I'm not attaching gender to God,
0: I like it, um, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: um, and God is just like here you 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 played by the rules now you get to win the game that it and then it doesn't work then it ruins then you're like hang on a second what's wrong with me what's wrong with god what's wrong with like all of a sudden all the pieces that you just built everything on come crashing down and i personally my my very very best friend that i've that i've ever had um was married to a man for 12 13 years um and they had four kids together And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, hang on a second. Maybe I never actually explored this stuff and is now married to a woman. And that has been something that I've seen happen over and over and over again. And the story is almost always someone who grew up in a very, this is what you will do, follow these rules and it will look this way. Um, And yeah, that's hard. I mean, talk about pain like that causes so much pain but then for everyone then you're causing pain to the partner yeah. that you didn't do the work to figure it out before and then okay. they're having to have the fallout, and then the kids and then the, i mean talk about pain like it creates more pain to do that yeah. i would it from what i from what i would say yeah. like more pain so what about can sexuality change mm-hmm. And if so, what do you do about it? Um, and if yeah, let's just start with that. I
0: like this. I did a little shimmy when you asked that question because I, like, I love this question. Um, yeah, absolutely. And in a very real sense, um, I mean, this what I'm about to say kind of feels a little bit too blankety statement for my comfort. But in in a very real kind of sense, it's sort of supposed to. Um, what I mean by that is that it is a spectrum and you can find within yourself, um, your presence on any, any point in that spectrum at any given moment, literally from moment to moment, from day to day, from life phase to life phase, year to year, whatever that might look like. Um, and so I think there's a lot of help, uh, and a lot of I would say comfort in, um, labels that some people have been able to find. So like, I think the power in uh, labels can either be limiting or like, or liberating and like, Ooh, that was a good alliteration. I didn't even mean to do that. I'm like a Southern Baptist pastor now. Um, I think (laughs) your hand motions are so cute. Um, I think labels Labels can be really liberating for a lot of people who have, who never identified with the only label they were ever previously given. And then they find a new one. That's the, the one that feels more correct. And they're like, like, oh, God, this is me. I'm real. Like, um, I am valid. My experience is valid. My feelings are valid. My personhood is valid. And then I also think that sometimes there are people who their relationship towards their sexuality is what they feel to be true is that they are kind of ever present at different points in that spectrum and so the labels can feel kind of confusing um and even for even that's why you have like even something like the difference between um bisexuality and um kind of like a more fluid or like maybe even pansexuality where it's like because you have some people who are like bisexuality that might even be limiting and saying bi because two you know two and but there's more genders than that so there are folks who are um, feel like they're also attracted to people who are not, you know, kind of don't identify on that, that kind of gender binary. And so, so there's a, there, the point here is like, there's so much nuance and like you are fully allowed to occupy wherever you feel you are on that spectrum and own a label, own a title or not own a label, not own a title on any given day, and if you wake up the next day and it feels different, no one's allowed to tell you that you should have stayed where you were the day before, because you are the expert in your body and you are the expert in your attraction. You are the expert in what feels best for you as far as partnering or coupling or being involved with multiple other people. Like That is all and totally and only and completely on your terms. And I think that that, and I, so I think to your, to your second question that like what happens when it changes, um, there's only so much that we can control about what happens when it changes, especially when it, when it comes to to the relationships that we're in with other people. So when we feel that it changes or if we like feel like we're waking up to maybe a different part of ourselves that we didn't know before, or if we're feeling like a previous label doesn't really fit us anymore, um, at any given moment. The number one thing we can do is stay on our own team about that. Like, decide and like decide that no matter what, you're going to stay on your own team, which is easier. A lot fucking easier said than done. It's not not super easy. Um, but kind of decide like you're going to tell yourself the truth, and um, you're going to keep telling yourself the truth, and you're going to keep leaving space for you to continually tell yourself the truth. And no matter what, like a a, a thing that I have with my body a lot, where I'll like talk with her often. And I'll just there there. There are many, many moments and times where one of the main things that I kind of express to her and say is like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I just need you to know, like in this moment, this thing is frightening me. This thing is scaring me or this thing feels new or intimidating, or I'm like touching some kind of pain or maybe the potential of a new label or identity that, you know, maybe my past upbringing is bringing up some like shit where I'm thinking like, that might not be allowed. And my bottom line is that I will always come back to her and tell her I'm not going anywhere. Um, And so I think that's the first thing that is we can control is to make that decision to say like, I'm gonna tell myself the truth. Um, And then I think what it looks like for us telling other people the truth, um, just kind of depends on what we're comfortable with, um, who we feel safe with, who we don't feel safe with. No one else is owed an explanation. No one else is owed a story. But there are times where we feel like because of the dynamic of the relationship that we're in with someone, we might want to give them an update about this new thing we've discovered. The hard thing is once you've done that, you can't control how they respond. That's super vulnerable. Um, you can you can hope you you can like hope for the best. You can you know really, and you can also hope that maybe you've like chosen well in the person the, the people that you keep company with that they're gonna like actually celebrate your growth and like champion that in you rather than like put an expectation on you to be who they thought that you were yesterday. Um, but like you said, we can't really control that, but. I think kind of paying attention to who feels safe to us to communicate that to is big Um, and then communicating that really bravely and uh, really vulnerably with those people that do feel safe and hopefully they'll hold that space with us and for us and celebrate us in that. I think you see... I remember reading something at one point about, I can't remember who it was, but some psychologist said something. It literally could have been an article, a podcast, or just someone on Twitter. I really don't know at this point, but (laughs) someone who said like in their experience and their practice, they had never personally seen or seen an example of a couple where one partner in the couple had gone through um, transition, um, uh, like had like gender reassignment surgery, and gone through their transition to their, to their, you know, you know, their correct gender. And they had never seen, they were saying they had not seen in their experience like, like a marriage or a partnership, like last through that. Like all they had seen is those end in the first year. And I remember reading that and being like, oh man, like, I mean, I trust your assessment cause you're like you're a professional, but that bums me out. But then I don't know if it was the universe or what, but it was beautiful. I started suddenly just coming across, article after article after article after blog post of couples who have written about their experience where they not only survived it, but where they're like, of course, i stayed with this person I love because all I, gosh, I'll cry. Like all I want is for them to be exactly who they are and that only serves our partnership together. That only serves our parenting together. Like if you, if you have, if this was a truth, you did not feel able or capable to fully tell to yourself or to the world and especially to me this whole time, I desperately want you to feel safe enough to tell me your truth. And then I want to champion that truth with you. So it was really interesting contrast to like read that assessment, be real bummed out to hear that. And then like see all these examples of people who that has not been true for where they have been able to be like, you're changing. I love you for that. I'm going to celebrate your change and I, and I'm
1: changing with you as well. Mm. Yeah, seriously. Um, Where is sexuality? Is it in body mind, spirit, somewhere else, where is, where is our sexuality?
0: That's such a good question. First of all, I've never had anyone ask that question before. That's a great question. You're good at this. Um, like, I don't know if you know this, but you're good at this. This thing, your job, you're good at it. Thanks. Um, Thanks. That is so, man, this is one of those questions where I'm like, oof, I... I'm not even going to pretend like I'm an expert (laughs) or know the answer to this. My inclination is to say yes to all of the above. Um, There's probably, and also my next inclination is to say like, like it probably depends on who you ask. Mm. I think every person might have a different experience of where it lives within them. Um, Or maybe even like, like a pie chart like percentage wise like how much of it like lives in each place um because i can totally see like yeah i could totally see it being present maybe not fully occupying um exclusively but being present in body being present in mind being present in spirit being present in you know heart if hearts separate from spirit maybe um i see and even within myself and i think about myself i'm like it's definitely present in body um definitely present in mind and definitely present in spirit um so it's probably you know and that makes sense so too now that I'm thinking about it and verbally processing it out loud (laughs) because it's it's so sexuality is so it's like so fascinating and beautiful and like I said before like also just very mundane because it's just like a part of who we are and it should be allowed to just be a very normal part of who we are and I think that like I don't know. It just, it feels like it, it, that part of me, there's like other parts of me and other parts of my identity that live in all of those places. Right? Like just my, like my personality, like my, my eightness, like my eightness. Yes. If you're an Enneagram expert, I get it. Eight, nine, nine, and one. nine, one, we're like in the body triad. Sure. But elements of my eightness also live in my brain and elements of my eightness also live in my spirit and in my heart. Um, and so it's probably the same. I don't know. What I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that annoying
1: thing that like guests on podcasts do, where I'm like, you tell me what do you Ooh. think. I'm gonna. Ask. Um, you know, I was thinking about it when I asked the question. Um, and what came up for me is I have a friend who is a medium, and she um she would say that every single time, like that we're, you know, we have souls and then we have bodies and that when our soul, you know, visits earth in different bodies, that the soul is not always the same sexuality in every manifestation of the soul. So I would say, um, I would say that it's probably not connected to our soul because of that. But then at the same time, I'm like, but I think that sexuality is very spiritual, which yeah. is different to being a part of our soul. Um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm buying what you're saying, where I think it's it's a part, there's a component of sexuality in each part of who we are in our beings, in our bodies, in our minds, and I, I mean, when it comes to you know, we're talking about sexuality, but obviously, like when it comes to actual sex, all yeah. of those all of those things play yep. a part in sex. Um, you know, I mean, there are so many incredible studies about our minds when it comes to sex and our bodies when it comes to sex, and it, and if you just take one of those three and look at them, totally different. At like mm-hmm. the way that our mind handles sex, our body handles sex, so different. And if you pull yeah. one, you know, it's kind of that like Trinity that you need all three. And if you pull one, then all of a sudden it's totally, it's one. totally different. Yeah. So, you know, it might've been a trick question, but I'm just curious if there was an answer.
0: It's a good question. <laughs> Thanks. My favorite questions are the ones where I'm like, I don't know, ask me again in like a month. <laughs> Yeah. And that happens actually a lot with my clients too, where i like ask a question they're like, I don't, I don't know yet. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 that's fine. I'm not asking for you to know now. I'm asking for you so that you have a thing to go talk about with your body later. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm just asking you to know now, like this is the beginning of the conversation. Like if you had an answer now, I probably wouldn't need to ask it, which is the funny thing about those types of questions. Totally.
1: totally. So what about, um, let's say someone's listening and they're like, okay, this is all great. And this is all like interesting and stuff. But I'm sitting here and I don't even know how to weed through what is, what is my body and my experience and my mind and my spirit and what is all of my upbringing and the thing, you know, let's say hypothetical upbringing or just like cultural kind of norms put on me. Um, and so I don't even know how to put words to my sexuality because I don't know it myself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where do you start? It's a hard question.
0: Sorry, I know. Um, I'm throwing them all No, No, that's. I mean, it's a hard question because when I say that's a hard question, what I mean is like, that's the question I get asked in some form or another uh, multiple times a day. Um, maybe that's an exaggeration. Usually it's in my consultations, which I only usually have like a few of those a week, but. Sometimes it'll come up in other sessions too. And I, it's such a hard question that I still don't know exactly how to simply answer it um, or to give any kind of like um, easy or simple, uh, which would be so nice if I could. It, would be it doesn't nice have if that to be
1: easy. Sense. This stuff is about like, we're embracing yeah. the pain. So it can be pain. You can be like, I'm about to give you a three year homework process.
0: Right. <laughs> I mean, it, and that's it for some people. It really does take that long. I know. Like, and, and so, and, and the other reason why it's a hard question to answer is because, um, that is something that I, again, that's like a core value of like what I hold space for and like my client work that I do. And yet, um, I've had so many people kind of ask me if I have like, Oh, do you know anyone in like this area that does this work like in this city? Or do you have any books that you would recommend or, and by and large, like I, I don't, because I don't know very many other people who are like doing this very specific kind of, and I don't want to say like doing this specific work, but they're focused, they're aware that this kind of like space needs to be held for people to deprogram themselves from that. And so that's another thing that makes the question so hard is that bums me out. that I'm like, this is such a giant need. And I don't think that there are very many people, practitioners, especially, who are like aware that there's this weird specificity, of this particular need, which is people who are raised, not just evangelical Christianity, but that's my particular thing that I came up in, but fundamentalist religion teaches you very specific things about your body, um, and your, that includes your relationship towards your sexuality, that just because you have left that religion or you've dismissed that belief cognitively, or you would maybe check a different box on a form saying like, that's not my religion anymore, doesn't mean that your body has healed from the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years where you were told these things that you had to assimilate to and claim that you believe and have an experience with in order to fit and survive and belong. And so it's it's a lot of times when it comes to um, like different like practitioners who are trying to help like people like heal from stuff or whatever, like they usually, this, what I'm trying to say is like, this is like a seemingly subtle thing Because I don't think people recognize or realize that. And so, and this is like, I'm really glad, maybe I'll like amend my previous statement. Like I have seen more books that have been being written and more um, kind of like uh, people who are doing coaching work that they, um, like, um, I can't remember Layla Martin, she's like a sex and love and relationship kind of coach. Um, but then um this woman that I know, Morgan Day Cecil, went through her coaching program. At least I think she's on her website saying that she, like she did. But the way that Morgan has kind of tailored it is to her experience of like kind of the, the Christian woman experience and like on like deprogramming, like the kind of purity culture stuff. So there are people that do that, and like that's an element because with my coaching certification and my personal experience of trying to deprogram from purity culture and all of that. Great. That's kind of my like wheelhouse now too, but it is such, it's such, it's a problem that I don't think so, Cause for those of us who are brought up inside of that, like really confusing um, we have this really confusing adolescence with like purity culture stuff. Like we're only just now arriving in a place where we're like, that was weird. Let's all talk about it with each other. So resources and um, like practitioners who are versed in that they're just now kind of like beginning So it can be hard to know where to begin because a lot of times in our beginning we would really like support and it can be hard to find support whether it's like support someone's story in a book or someone that you like have a call with weekly or someone you see in an office. it can be really hard to find those people. A lot of my clients they'll t- tell me, that like they work with me in tandem with a licensed therapist because their therapist can't go with them in this part of their story. They don't, they haven't had the experience. They don't really get it. They don't know the vast deep effect that being raised to believe these things about yourself and your body and your sexuality affect you in such a significant way. And so I think like, like, oh gosh. So that's that's why I'm like, that's, that's not even an answer to your question. That's me saying why the the answer to your question is so hard is because it's, it, it feels like a thing. Um, I wasn't even like aware of all the ways that I was affected by this until maybe like three or four years ago. Like it's a thing that a lot of people are just now waking up to. Um, and so where, where, like, where do we begin? What do we do? How do we start? And I think for me, I'm sure many other people would have different approaches, people who do focus on this, but, and like, all, you know, the books that exist about this, that have been written about this, I'm sure they, every person has a different experience of what kind of reoriented themselves back to their bodies and back to full permission of their sexuality, or maybe even just they're still living their way through an experience of, of finding full permission for their sexuality. Um, but for me, the way that that kind of tangibly manifest i mentioned this before is like that space that i hold in i i use a lot of language that reframes the reality of embodiment through the language of relationship and so like that's why i call my body a she um i have clients you know we've got he we've got they we've got everything in between i even have clients that like give their bodies a name and like some sometimes they're like really sweet like affectionate names and it's really wonderful but it's like this, I, the thing I think about that is so powerful about that is that it, in reframing it through that language of relationship, we then start to um, kind of illuminate in a different way what it means to meet the needs of like a, quote, another person. Because especially for those of us coming from evangelical Christianity, we were very much... Um, indoctrinated that one of the main things that we're supposed to do with our lives is meet the needs of other people. So it's hard for us to recognize what it looks like or how it could even be possible for us to meet our own needs or validate our own experience um, or, you know, engage with that you know, evil thing called self-love, you know, it's so new agey. Um, so when we kind of like, okay, well let's bypass all those weird language connotations and just talk about like the love that exists in relationship you have with another external entity. Um, and I had a client one time say something like when it clicked for him, he was like, Oh, I'm recognizing I'm in relationship with my body, but it's not even just that I am married to my body and divorce is not an option. So, like, that means something. What does that mean about the way that I meet my, my own needs? What does that mean about the dialogue I have with myself? What does that mean about how patient I, I am with myself? What does that mean about, even quite simply, like, the way I treat my body? And and sexuality is is a part of that. Sexuality is included in that. Um, so I think in, like, where do we, what do we do? Where do we begin? How do we heal this? It is a very long process. I mean, I maybe mean, not for everyone, maybe for some people, like, they're ready. And it just, it goes quickly. But from what I've lived and experienced and from what I see typically with people, it, it's less about figuring out how to get from point A to point B. And it's more about figuring out how to recognize the relationship that you're in with your body and how to make that relationship as compassionate, um, as possible and as kind and as communicative as possible. Um, and then it becomes less about fixing something or fixing a problem Um, And it becomes more about just maintaining intimacy and staying close. And um, yeah, maintaining intimacy, I think is what I'll say. Because for me, like, there's still elements where, like, and I'll just be, (laughs) this is the out of line podcast, I'll be super candid. Like, I don't have any issues, really, as far as things like weird things my body might do or areas where I might hold emotion, anxiety, tense up, in partnered sexual situations, but I do with masturbation. And I think it's because one of the messages and what I've talked about with, to my body with her and processing with her, it's because even, so even as a woman inside of the purity culture thing, like you're taught, like, yeah, it's all off limits, but once you're married, you know, to a man, cause it's super heteronormative, once you're married <laughs> to a man, then it's okay. So even though I was technically, you know, I've never been married, but I've had a lot of sex. So clearly I've been kind of doing something wrong here, but according to their thing. So, but I still, that weird, um, body memory of the, um, you are, you're functioning the wrong way. You're sinning, you're doing the wrong thing. For some reason, it didn't pop up in partnered experiences with men. It didn't pop up because, but I'll get to that in a second. But whenever I would experience with, have an experience with self-pleasure or masturbation, certain parts of my body would get so tense that I would have to like stop before I would actually like reach orgasm because my muscles were fatiguing because they were just like, so like in my arms and in my stomach and some in my legs. And, and uh, what I eventually realized was like, I'm so tense because I'm scared of, I, I must be scared of something. like My body's feeling scared of something. This is what she does when she, she like seizes up and like panics in a situation. It was like that intense. And what I eventually through years of like trying to figure out how to dialogue with her about this. And even in situations where I would be masturbating and I would be speaking out loud to my body and just be like, babe, this is safe. This is okay. This is good. Actually, like pleasure is good. Like pleasure is holy. You might even want to say like, this is actually a good thing. There's nothing to fear here. You're not doing anything wrong and trying to like notice if my body would relax into it or not. And then in, you know, times when I'd just be sitting or writing or going on a walk and talking out loud, dialoguing with my body. What I kind of came to realize is that even though I was technically kind of sinning in my sexual experiences with men, there was still this weird permission and allowance there because as a woman coming up in Evangelical Christianity, it was like your sexuality is safe and valid and good only when it is unto the pleasure of a man. And so that's what I was bringing with me into partnered sexual experiences with men, where it was like my body wasn't freaking out because she was still kind of somehow inside the rules. And yet, when I was, when I was masturbating, it was like, I was totally outside of all rules. Not only was I engaging with my sexuality, but a man wasn't experiencing like the benefit of it. And so that was what was so bad Is so my body was freaking out because that's when she was finally like, okay, no, this isn't safe. We're totally outside of the rules that for 20 years you were taught, like the only way to stay safe is to be in these rules. And, and, you know, to not try and doctor this story too, I still experience it still every time I masturbate, I'm just like, honey it's okay like you don't have but she's just so tense and i don't i don't know what that's gonna look like i mean and i we still we talk about it all the time like maybe someday i might need to go see a sex therapist about it maybe someday she'll let go of it and it'll be just like really anticlimactic and she'll be like okay i feel safe because like i've dialogued with my body about it so maybe at some point she'll feel safe enough and understood enough and seen enough to where whatever message she thinks that she frantically needs to send me by making me feel like I'm in danger. She'll be like, oh I think I I don't think you need to know that anymore. Okay, we're good. It could be that too. I don't know. So I think it's just it just my body she had her own experience of the same experience I had. We heard the same things and we internalized them in different ways. And I might be in a lifelong process until the day I die of trying to figure out what it is that she heard and what it is that she needs to let go of and whatever she's not letting go of yet. Why? Mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not healing. That doesn't mean I'm not healed. That doesn't mean any implication that there's like unfinished business. It just means that I'm in relationship and you don't arrive anywhere in relationship. It's just this constant uncovering. It's a constant, like You're constantly discovering who that person is that you're in relationship with. And that's how I feel about her. I'm like, you'll hold on to this as long as you think that you need to. And I'm not going to withhold my love from you um, for some kind of impression that you need to be like perfect or totally well.
1: Mm. Um, So that's a really, that's a really long,
0: I don't even know if that answered any. I love it.
1: I love it all. (laughs) Um, and thanks for being honest and, and vulnerable about your experience, um, too, because I think that you sharing that gives other people permission to um, be in their process and to be in in the process, in the phase of learning, figuring it out. I think, like we were talking about before, we learn so much from pain, and yet yeah. sometimes we... Kind of resist pain so much that we miss it you know like we hold it we hold it at arm's length and then when we're ready to actually say hang on a second maybe you have something to teach me and really just like wear the pain then it can kind of teach us faster and also um it's just something that then other people can enter into a deeper relationship with us because instead of being this perfect person that oh no pain i don't have pain pain isn't we don't do that here we're good we have we have something you don't have you know it that's a very alienating thing in relationship with other humans to create this i have the answer and you don't and i and therefore i you know, I'm not experiencing pain because I XYZ to be able to share in the real, the realness and the pain of life is, is the juicy stuff. And that's when you can actually get into some really beautiful relationships, at least in my experience.
0: Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. And I, I think like, I've even, I've even had this conversation with like, cause I'm a coach and I've had this conversation with like a few other coaches too, where like, I don't know how, like, Mean girls, this is it's not intentional, but like, where we're like, mm, we feel we feel a thing within us where we begin to cut, kind of, we feel a little bit suspicious of and uncomfortable of other coaches who try and present themselves too much like a finished product. That's concerning, honestly, because that, like, for all the reasons that you just said, which is like, I think, like, I don't, I'm a little bit concerned about people who try and like present this image of like, no, I figured it out, I'm good, I'm done, I'm healed. And I'm like, not only is that, like you said, like kind of alienating, um, but it feels a little to me, it, the idea of doing that would be really uncomfortable because like that, that would be me like kind of trying to tell, I'd be worried that that would be me accidentally communicating to someone that their finished product, like they, like there's their finished, no one can see this. You can, I'm quoting, you quoting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I needs got you.
0: Look, needs to look identical to me and that's not that's not okay that makes me really uncomfortable and that's a thing that I say to, I work with people in like 6 month long programs at a time and that's super intentional because I don't want to create any kind of expectation in someone that I'm like building a dependence within them upon me or even upon like my method or what I do like like the space that I'm holding is not the, not the space that everyone needs held for them. And so I think that the most honest way that not only just me as a coach, but me as a person and all of us as human people can have a successful relationship with one another and do the most possible good is to be as honest as we possibly can about the things that we are still in process over. Because like you said, it creates so much space and so much permission for people to be like, oh yeah, me, too. I'm still in process about that too. Mm. Um, so it facilitates their ability to be more honest with themselves and tell themselves the truth and have successful dialogue with their bodies. So I just, I think that's something that all around, um, but I, I mean, isn't that the thing like we're all like so afraid of though? Like, at which I mean, but that's the thing that everybody needs. Why are we afraid of it? I know I, know,
1: I know. And there's all, there's all sorts of little webs going on there of why we are, but, um, and, but I definitely hear you with, with, being suspicious about people who seem to have it all together and I'm like oh you're probably a three you poor thing oh
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything right now because that's not now is not the time but maybe no maybe I'll say later <laughs> I, certain people came to my mind when I was like I'm a little suspicious yeah. and like it makes us a bit uncomfortable and um they're they've all been three so far <laughs> I love you guys I really do I just you can be It's really, you can still be messy. You don't have to be like
1: so fast. That's so funny. I, um, I, uh, recently, it's funny. Um, I've, I always, when I started learning about the Enneagram and I started kind of figuring out who everyone was in my life, um, it was like all the people that I had the strongest, like physical reaction to were all threes where I was just like, what are you hiding? What's going on? Why are you fake? Like I call bullshit. And then recently, um, I listened to the Sleeping At Last uh, podcast episode about threes. Have you listened to it? Oh. Okay. Well, I listened to it and I was sobbing the entire time. And I was just oh. like, I got to, it actually almost, it gave me such empathy for what yeah. they're actual going through, actually going through. Um, yeah. So much so that I actually just saw so much three in myself that I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's really, like I had- couple of hours where I was like, have I just been like resisting the fact that I'm a three this whole time? And then I was like, no, no, no. But I went through my,
0: my second highest number. Same. That's why I, I see it so clearly. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I get it. Yeah. I really,
1: I you. I yeah. totally get it, but I judge it the hardest. And, um, yeah. so anyway, all that to say, not to tangent, but, um, yeah. if you have a resistance to threes, listen to that episode because it's just, I-
0: podcast about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, um, is writing a song about every single type. And, um, I only just started listening. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Seriously. Um, I'm waiting for the eight. Like, so I I'm probably going to have to take the day off because I'll probably be crying the whole day.
0: I know. I'm like, I can't wait. Why do we have to be at the end?
1: I know, know. but he just released six Okay. Um, Oh. Yeah. mm Mm-hmm. And so I've only – I'm listening to them very slowly um, and really chewing on them. So I just finished four. Um, But anyway, all that to say, if you are like me –
0: I really need to listen mm, to four.
1: mm, mm, Yeah. 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 They're they're so good. So good. Literally so juicy. Dive in.
0: So it's really – it's just such a special thing that he's doing and like giving to people. But, and I can't imagine that's like, Oh, that's a lot of energy to be channeling uh, through. And I mean, he's been good at that for a really long time, but man, especially with this, like, cause you're not the, well, I've heard of this before and I've heard for folks who already have their numbers that have been like made for them, like the things that they have said about how seen and heard it made them feel like oh, what a beautiful thing
1: for like to be the person that created that and give that to other people. Oh yeah. That's amazing. I texted it to one of I texted one of my really good friends this past week um who's a one and um and I texted him the link to the to his episode and just was like, "Hey, just listened to this recently and like thought of you." And um I just saw him this past week and he came up to me and he hugged me and then he looked at me and then he started crying and then he hugged me again. And I was like, "And he's he's a one. Like he doesn't do that shit. Like that is not Like if I get a hug, it's like the double tap, like the you know, the quick, like almost bro-y hug. And so the fact that I was like, I was like, what, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I just need to stop crying before I talk to you about the podcast episode that you sent me. And I was like, oh my gosh. So it's really, it's a powerful, it's a really powerful thing that he's doing. Um, And I definitely recommend anyone who's like, what is the Enneagram? What is this? Or even just who knows what type they are. Oh my gosh my brother's yeah. a five um and he said that that listening to his episode was the first time that he ever just like felt acceptance for oh. the type of you know person like he said that he is also all often felt so much kind of like shame about just being a head type like oh that's so like yeah you're so in your head and so he just said he just felt so seen for the first time and i was like holy shit, like this is really a gift so tangent but you know <laughs> Nice plug. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So I have another question about sex and sexuality. Duh. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So we've been talking about this and there's so much good here and it's amazing. Um, and I just don't know how to ever wrap it up and not, you know, not just talk about this for five more hours, but, um, so let's say this. So I wake up one morning and i'm like okay i know you know like i know what my sexuality is today and this is who i am and this is who i am in my body um but then i listen to this episode and i hear you say that sexuality changes and that sometimes you know we we figure things out differently about ourselves later in life or if if we undo things we learned and suddenly it changes so how can you trust your sexuality how can you trust the body that you're in so that you don't just have this anxiety, like looming over your head, like, oh, am I going to just wake up tomorrow and be different? Like, am, is this just going to change on me again? And also how do I make promises to a partner if yeah. I can't trust my own sexuality and what it's going to want and be, you know, a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now? Yeah. No big deal. Really? No. Just light, okay. lighthearted questions. So
0: easy. No big. Um, well, part of what, what happened in my body when you were talking about that was, um, I I don't know if this is like an Enneagram thing or just a me thing. I have no idea, but I was like, why is that scary? That sounds so exciting. Like it's, which is, I know I get it. And like all the sixes out there, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> I, I get it. not hearing that, but you're hearing it the way she meant it, not the way I heard it. I apologize. Um, Because for me, because again, man, there's so much that I filter through like these moments that I've had with my body where, so like my relationship with my body as far as um, coming out of like a lot of health issues and like 10 plus years of like an eating disorder that almost completely shut down my body, I, what, how, like a parallel to what you're expressing that has manifested for me is like, I've had to find myself in a place where I, um, don't have well maybe yeah especially being an eight where we're like we have to be in control in order to survive that made me really cruel to her for a very long time because i was like she's going to live and be and do and express in ways that might be outside of what i had planned like on any given morning or part of the day when i wake up and if she's deciding to function in a way or to to take up a certain amount of space that i might decide is unacceptable i immediately become hostile right And so over the past few months, my main thing with her, um, has been kind of like, I, I am wanting to celebrate, um, kind of the mystery of whoever you decide to be. And I want that to be true tomorrow. And I want that to be true, you know, 20 years from now, I want that to be true, 40 years from now when i'm for sure at that point going to be experiencing all these new and interesting things that are part of aging like and i just i just want to i want it to feel exciting i want re-meeting you every morning to feel exciting i want it to feel exciting and i don't want it to feel like something that you are doing to me or against me and honestly that's all in my perception that's not that's not your fault body like that's if i decide that's a thing that's happening it's because i've decided that's a thing that's happening so it's hard for me to kind of hear that that question um, without being like, "That sounds scary. That sounds fun." But I also let me frame that too in the sense that I I'm not a person that has ever had to have an experience where I have, well, I guess in the realm of sexuality, um, I've never like had like, a coming out experience. Um, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't I'm don't publicly like identify like, what my kind of sexual orientation is, um, for a lot of reasons, mostly cause I just don't want anyone to feel like, because I've labeled in one thing, if they're another thing, they can't like, they won't feel safe with me or they don't. So, um, but also because like it, for me, it is very much, it is very much a spectrum where it's like, I truly, Part of the reason why I haven't really landed on a label, the closest thing I would probably get to, maybe maybe I'll just say one out, would be something closer to, like, pansexual, um, because I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying that I'm heterosexual, I don't feel comfortable saying that I'm bisexual, um, because I'm, again, I might wake up tomorrow, and I might find myself attracted, To someone that I've never been attracted to before and that's just that's a felt that's a reality that I feel within my body that is not only possible but I have great potential to do Um, but so I've never so I don't know there's something about like landing in a spot that is not really ever felt like true to my experience Um, and so again I I might be like a shitty person to answer that question because that mystery feels exciting Mm -hmm. but also I recognize that that mystery probably is going to have some fear and maybe some anxiety and panic attached to it for someone who has ever had to look someone that they love in the face and tell them something that they are afraid that person might experience as bad news just by saying this is fully who I am. And so I understand there could be some panic and fear attached to that experience when it comes to this like, oh, it's a spectrum and this might change tomorrow. And there are implications for the people that we're in relationship with about that that might cause some fear or maybe even pain. so I don't know. Like, I think that's hard. It's a hard question to answer for that, for that reason. I think, um,
1: can you ask it again? Cause I feel like I just talked a bunch. Yeah. I'll, and, I just... and I can ask it, I can ask it a little differently too. Um, would you ever, would you ever get married? <laughs> My I'm just throwing that, them at you. <laughs>
0: um, so that is even such a strangely, so for my whole life up until very recently, my answer to that question was, um, leaning towards no kind of in the middle space of like, I have no idea, but I was, you know, to make it really simple, I was, I was a no, um, I was, I told, I told my parents when I was young, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember that at some point when I was a kid, uh, verging on adolescence, I told my parents like separately that I was like, I'm never getting married. Um, but I might have framed it as like, I'm never having a wedding or something. And my dad said, thank you. And my, or my mom said, obviously. And my dad said, thank you. And so it was like one of those things where I was like, okay cool. This went over well, that's fine. Um, but now recently, so it's interesting you asked this just on a personal note, it's been a topic of conversation with my partner because, so this one thing happened this one time where we were in a lift coming home from a dinner or something where we had both been imbibing alcoholic beverages. And, um, he was as you, so he's Australian. So there's a whole thing, you know, they, 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 they drink a lot more than, than me or anyone ever at all. Um, (laughs) and he's also very talkative. He's just loving loving having a conversation. And, um, my partner was married once before he's, so he's 41. He was married for a few years. It was not a good or healthy marriage at all. And so he's got a lot of, um, a, a lot of like feelings and some, some pain regarding that his like previous experience of marriage itself. And so he was just having this chat with this Lyft driver because somehow this Lyft driver said something about marriage or being married. And and my partner's just like kind of going on about just in his blissful, lovely way inside his own head of like, I'm just communicating my experience. It's all he was doing. But the way he was communicating, it was kind of like saying things about like, he was like kind of championing this guy saying like not getting married. And he's like, yeah, don't do it. Never do it. Like never do it. And I'm sitting here fully aware this was such a weird experience for me because I'm fully aware that since I was a kid I was like I don't want to get married but then I'm listening to the person that I love be like yeah marriage no never do it and I was like well that kind of stings and I don't really know why that stings why does that feel weird and so we got dropped off and we went inside and I was like visibly not okay and he was like what's up and I was like I don't even really know how to explain this because I don't know what's going on right now. Um, but, and I was like, and you're, and I kept qualifying it. I was like, you're t- totally entitled to your experience. And I know about everything you've been through, and I know that it's painful and hard. But I'm like, so I'm like starting to cry. And I was like, but it's just, It's just really hard for me to listen to you like talk about the fact that you like and I think I even said something like and I know we've talked about the fact that we don't really feel the need to get married but it's just really hard for me to hear you say things like like the fact that you like refuse to ever get married again and he so I'm like crying and he's watching me cry and I'm like but this is complicated I don't know why I'm feeling this way and he so he starts crying and he's like Oh my God, that's not what I meant. I'm so sorry, but you're right. I didn't even think about it. I did not think about how you would hear that. That's not, I I don't mean that. I don't feel that way. So we're both like, I know I'm sorry. And he's like, I know I'm sorry. It was like the weirdest, weirdest moment. But it did this thing where like, since that point, we've been able to kind of have this like very honest dialogue about like, okay, well, even though it's weird because we're two people who have always said both I don't ever want to get married and I don't ever want to get married again, and yet we find ourselves in a situation with one another where we're like, I can marry you. That would actually be cool. And also, um, that might actually be convenient because you have to keep applying for things to stay in this country. And also, I don't think I I want to stay in this country forever. You have dual citizenship in Australia and the European Union, so marrying you might just be a good idea. So, (laughs) (laughs) truly. and so he's like said things at this point now where he'll like reinforce like, and I think because he is, he's he's such a wonderful human person. And he's from, he remembers that experience so vividly. So like occasionally he'll just send me things like um, something like I, just reinforcing the fact that like marrying, he would like, I would love to marry you or like marrying you would be great. So it's, it's a really weird thing to be in this space where I'm like, it's a thing I never really considered my whole life. And yet now I'm in a position where it's like somehow this thing we are doing makes it possible or at the very least palatable to consider. Um, because I really like being partnered with you like a lot, like us being, you know, partners with one another feels like a good idea and feels like a good idea in perpetuity, um, for at least as long as, you know, we figured out. So, but there are elements to it where, you know, to that kind of point of the previous question of like, what does that mean for us in moving forward and the people that we are now and the people we might transform into later down the road? or um, and I think like one of the things that we've taught we have already talked about with that is um, closed versus open versus relatively open. Like what is our ethic with that? Um, and I think that, from what I've heard from, a lot of people. Um, so, again, I'll just, he doesn't listen to podcasts. It won't matter. So, we tried to, th- we were like, cool, no, we're good. Like, we'll just start our relationship with like a relatively open ethic. Um, that was like fine for a while until it was not fine. And it really was not fine. Um, and so, we had to kind of re examine like, mm, either this isn't right for us at all or it's just not right for us yet. And maybe we just need more time um, for it to be like just the two of us. So it's something that we've like tabled, but it's not entirely off the table. So part of our kind of like, we could see ourselves marrying one another and that being our reality. um, Part of what is included in that is like, this is an ever evolving conversation. Like that's something where, you know, if maybe five, 10, 15 years down the road, we are feeling like a more open ethic might serve us better as partners with one another. That might be a good idea. And so I feel like I can't speak for him, but I feel like in regards to sexuality, um, in regards to even I mean, even like even sexuality, like gender identity, all of those things. Like there are reasons that have nothing to do with my partner being um, like you know identifying as male and being um, identifying as like heterosexual. There are reasons totally apart from those two elements of who he is that are the reason why I want to like build a life with him. So I'm like, I, I can't say for certain, cause that would be really naive of me to be able to say for certain. Um, but I, I if either of those two things like went away, I would still really want to build a life with him and I would really hope that he would feel that way too. Um, so I don't know, but we, I mean, we don't know yet and I guess we'll, we'll see. But like I said before, like I have, there are examples of people who have, that's been true for them and they've been able to kind of see their relationship evolve in that way where they're like, Oh, you've changed or I've changed. And now we're like, let's re meet each other and see like what this means for us now and see if like, we still, we still feel as strongly about being partners with one another and building a life together as we did before in these kind of previous iterations of who we were.
1: Mm. Sounds exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. I love what you said about you tried you tried open and it didn't work because I think that even just you saying it's okay to try something and then be like, "Oh, that didn't work," um, yeah. I think that that's so rare. It's it's so it's sort of this um, again like pain avoiding. Like if you just follow this rule book, it'll work. So just follow these rules. Don't try anything. Um, also, you know. If you do something that you can't take back, you might have ruined a good thing. Those sorts of, you know, ideas. Yeah. So is there anything that you can share about your process and experience of trying something to do with your sexuality, having it not work, at least for now, what that process was like, what it taught you? Yeah. Anything you want to you wanna share?
0: It was honestly probably one of the most important things that I mean, again, we've only been together for a year. So it's kind of weird to say like one of the most important things that's ever happened to us because far and away the longest relationship I've ever been with someone. But in the span of relationships, I recognize we're like, we're just little babies. Like we're just little novices in this. But thus far, you know, for the year that we've been together, it for sure is the most important thing that happened um, because of what it exposed um, about kind of the difference between the people that we thought we wanted to be or needed to be for each other and the people and what we were actually really working with. Um, and so what essentially kind of occurred was, um, and I'll kind of frame it this way. Like one of us like tested the waters with that and it was fine Uh, that the other party like reacted like well to it. And then went like a few months later when it was like, okay, we're still open. Everything's good the other party, um, tested the waters and then it was not fine. Um, but even that party that did not react well to it, like knew there was enough self-awareness and self-introspection to be like, I recognize that my reaction is unfair because it's not balanced and not, it's not equal. But like, I don't know how to explain the fact that this is the reaction I'm having because I thought it would be fine. I really thought I would be fine, but I'm not fine. And so it was, it was bad for a little while. Like it was like a lot of really intense conversations and talking through it. Some some honest statements were made about um, kind of what was informing like that behavior, what was informing that moment of decision. And some more honest statements were made about like the other party's like assumption about what was informing that. And then kind of being like, well, no, that wasn't what was informing it. It was actually just really simple because remember when it happened with you, it was that simple. And so there was just a lot of, us parsing through like the projection and the reality over and over and over and over and then ultimately what that did is it brought some like deeper problems to the surface that had been happening for a while that we hadn't really talked about like one of us just didn't wasn't in the space of being willing to advocate about it the other person like just wasn't really aware And so it was kind of the catalyst that brought up some other dysfunction and brought up like really, really difficult, really painful, honest conversation about the presence of that dysfunction and the fact that our relationship for a few months had gone kind of down a road that neither one of us when we really looked at it were comfortable with because it wasn't, it was becoming unsafe. Um, And so it, it like on this like situation of like, oh, let's just like, continue testing the waters of this being like open, like it like halted us really quickly. And I remember at one point, like us talking about it and kind of landing in this spot where we're like, okay, to the point of like tabling this, like our openness, like for later. Um, because one of the things I will say this, one of the things that was really important to us both was, um, something that was really healing for me in, Leading my purity culture upbringing and one of the things that was really healing for him and leaving his former like abusive marriage um, Was us exploring our sexuality by having like by giving ourselves full permission to kind of like have a lot of sex Say yes to a lot of things like obviously like being safe being wise being communities all that stuff but having a lot of sex and so Because that was something that was really healing there's a lot of healing in that for both of us as individual people the reason why we landed on a relatively open ethic to start with was because I was like, well, I, like neither one of us feel comfortable asking you to shut that part of yourself down. Like that feels unkind. Um, and that actually feels like that could cause problems later because like if that's what made, not what made me, but if that's an element of why I fell in love with you, that's an element of like, you are free in this part of yourself and you feel like very confident and like you let yourself kind of be as hungry as you are like that and all those things like, if that's an element of why I'm attracted to you, like asking you to shut that down to be in a monogamous relationship with me, like just doesn't feel like the kindest thing I could do. And so we were like that ethic, that idea made sense to us. That idea made sense. And we're like, cool. Yes, great. Let's do it. And then we move forward in that. And then we hit these kind of speed bumps with it. And I think what we came to realize is like, that's still true, but I don't think we're there yet in a place where we feel like we can walk that out and live from that place like comfortably. Um, because I have I have heard a lot of people talk about when it comes to their, their relationships or their marriages or something being open, where there is a period of time prior to it being open where it was closed. Um, maybe it was like, you know, a year, five years, ten years, but a, a length of time where it was it was like just their thing. And they kind of opened it up from that point. Mm. And so I think it's possible we may have just like trying to do early. I don't know, maybe. Um, but I also, but I also, so this is coming back around to that last thing I was saying, like there was a moment where we were both like, you know what? Um, we want a relationship with each other more than we want a relationship an open relationship right now. So that's the thing that gets shelved and we're going to continue talking about this the stuff this is exposed. You're gonna go to therapy. I'm gonna go to therapy. We're gonna work on the things we need to work on. keep tours for a living, so once he's back in, in town for a significant length of time, we're gonna do therapy together. Like, it was unto some really good, powerful, deep revelation uh, where we kind of. I can, and again, I can't speak for him, but for me, it it really, it solidified for me why I was like, this person's my partner. He's like the most self-aware person I've ever met and the most motivated to become more self-aware person I've ever met and I was like great that's why I want to be here is because of that reason not because of like really any other kind of cosmetic sort of reasons that might shift or change over time but that that thing within you is a thing that I I feel really strongly about being partnered with Mm. so it was um it's funny to like talk about it now and hear myself talk about it because I'm like oh this sounds like neat and tidy and I'm like oh it was such a mess like it was so it was so painful for like weeks. It was so bad. And, um, but I mean, we, that's, but again, like that whole thing, you can't avoid pain and it's, it's often your best teacher. And that complicated, painful experience was like one of the most powerful, like relational moments that he and I, like lengthy, like it was an extended relational moment, but
1: that he and I've ever had. Hmm. So mm, yeah. It was, like, wow. sounds like you, you guys both, um, Your level of just intimacy with each other, with knowing each other and understanding each other um, got got so much deeper because of that. And I think that, um, yeah, it's messy and it's painful, but there's then there's like the depth that's there as a result of it, which is really, really cool. So I'm excited to hear what happens as it as it progresses.
0: Me too. I'm excited
1: to see what happens. I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to not have it. Well, again, for eights. It's fun to not, it's fun to not have like the routine of like, same thing again, here we go. Um, but like the constant evolving, changing thing. Um, so, okay. So I want to ask you a few social media questions, but before I do that, um, the last question I want to ask about specifically about sexuality is, so we've talked all about, you know, so many different components of it, elements of it, finding yourself, having it be, a process, a spectrum, embracing pain, you know, all of these elements. Um, And so, so much of them are so fluid, you know, sexuality and fluidity. Um, So what's the, what's the one sort of truth or what, it's not that there is a relative truth that I'm asking for, but what's a framework or a grounding component about all of this? that you can almost leave us with, or just a a lens at which you view sexuality through um on any given day that might support as just a kind of here's here's a here's our root. What root are we growing from?
0: I mean that's actually a very that might be the easiest question you've laughed at me so far, which is great. Cause it kind of circles back to the thing that I noticed that um like in my client work like like and I'll even point blank ask people in consultations like what support it is they feel like they're looking for and far and away the main thing that people say is permission um and what's I think is really fascinating about like the temporary 6 month space space that I hold is I'm not so much like giving them permission as I am like holding space to like teach them how they're not waiting for it from anyone else um And so that like very, and it's kind of like a life motto, so to speak. And I feel like it does deeply relate to sexuality and sexual identity, um, is you are not waiting for permission. So like you're not waiting for permission from anyone else or any external entity or any kind of like divine force or religious construct, um, family member, partner, anyone to validate for you what it is that you feel that you know about who you are. Um, and that is. I I get that's like so much easier said than done because it's like almost every single way in which we've been brought up to, uh, I don't know, learn or know or experience what it means to be a human person. Like a lot of us have been kind of inside these paradigms that have unfortunately wired us for like codependency, which is like, oh no, you need other people to validate this thing in order for it to be true. And you really don't. don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. And I think like that's probably one of the most One of the most freeing, powerful, and difficult, unfortunately, things to really, like, grasp hold of is, like, you don't need anyone else to tell you yes to what it is that you know is true about you for you to know that it's true. I would hope that every person hears a bunch of yeses from the people that they love and care about and support, but you're not waiting on that for that for you to know what it is that you really know about yourself, about your body, about your sexual identity, about your gender identity, any part of you you're not waiting to hear a yes from anyone else for that to be,
1: for you to know that that's fully true about you. Mm. Juicy. I love it. Um, And last side note, have you ever, um, have you ever recorded any of your sessions and or thought about doing anything like that where you record what you do in your coaching um, and and posting it in a way like, I mean, I'm obsessed with like, where should we begin? Esther um, mm-hmm. Perel is like my hero, and I oh. love I love her so much, yeah. um, and I love her books, and she's amazing, and um, and I love how much I've gotten to learn through the sessions she does with her clients. Yeah. Have you ever thought about doing yeah. that?
0: Um, kind of, yeah. The short answer to that is yes. Um, I so. So I love Esther as well, but I didn't because I have her on such a pedestal internally. I didn't really realize that that would be a thing that would be possible for me to do until Hillary came out with hers, um, which is called Other People's Problems, which is amazing, and I'll just plug it because it's incredible. And Hillary's like a stellar fucking therapist. And so when she did it, I was like, oh my god, this is like an accessible thing. Like this is a thing that like the regular, the regulars of us who are not like Esther can do. Um, and then my very next thought was like, uh, not yet. Like I've thought about that with, um, like I've only been coaching for, um, about three years. And this iteration of my coaching work has only been a bit over a year. And sometimes I feel like I've even had the thought of like, Oh, you know, a lot of people have like online curriculum where it like generates kind of passive income, but it gets people, gets things, concepts to people as much as possible. And there's this thing that can sometimes happen in my head where I'm like, Oh, I see other people doing that. And like, why haven't I created that yet? And I'm like, I haven't been a coach long enough for me to feel comfortable doing that. Like I want to do, I want to, I want to, I want to just strictly be a coach in these one-on-one relationships, um, for at least five years in this iteration of it before I would feel comfortable like creating some sort of perceived universal content that I could like put out for people. Um, and so I feel like that same kind of length of time of about like you know five years ish, um, maybe a bit shorter, who knows, but for recorded stuff, um, I feel like a lot of my clients, like maybe 50 50 split, like equal, equal as, like equally as many would be like, no, please don't. And then and as would probably be like, yeah, by all means, go for it. Um, I think that would be really cool to do. Um, and I would love to at some point. Um, but I, I personally just don't, I don't feel don't feel ready yet. Like it's, it's funny. I feel really confident in my sessions with my clients one-on-one. Like I feel really confident in the space I'm holding and what I'm doing. Um, but I just, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of just want that to be ours yeah. for a little. And just, no, that's yeah. fair enough. But I think it would be so cool to do like a few years down the road. I would love to do it because they're so powerful. Like listening to Hillary's and listening to Esther's, like you can see yourself, in the experiences of these kind of anonymous people who are telling their stories. And
1: it feels like you are getting good therapy right back at you for free. And it's awesome. Yeah, and I think it's so important as well, especially in something like what you're talking about with with sexuality um, and and there being so much shame wrapped up in sexual identity at this point in our culture. Um, So even just to hear someone put words to something that, you know, let's say I'm going through and to be like, oh, I thought I, I'm, you know, like, I thought I was alone in this. Like there's so much shame attached to, you know, like, especially like you were talking about, if you follow a script and it, it's supposed to lead to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and then you get there and it's not there, then it's immediately to go, well, it's something wrong with me um, I did something wrong. And so then to be, to be like, hang on a second, there are so many people going through this and we can all learn from each other is I think a a powerful thing. But then again, I'm, I'm very like, let's get messy and just put it all on the table.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I, and I think like there's something very specific in like us having this conversation with one another where we're like, we're really similar in the ways that we embrace like mystery and conflict. Like, eights experience conflict as intimacy and every other number thinks we're crazy for that so
1: tell me about it my poor husband
0: he's sweet did you say he was a nine yeah is that what you said yeah Yeah. he's a
1: social nine with a very strong eight wing but still he's always just like oh my gosh can you can you not challenge everything? And I'm like, why? Even, I challenge that even.
0: Exactly, why would you say that to me?
1: I'm like, babe, this is like when I want to see you and understand you. And he's like, just make it easy for once. I'm like, this is easy. This is me at easy. Like,
0: I don't know what easy means if this isn't it for you. I can't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, so I love love it.
1: Stick around for part two of this discussion to hear a Q&A with Jamie Lee Finch about her social media practices. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season.